So this morning, what I wanted to talk about, um, uh, the next few weeks, I'm talking about the four yogas. We're going to cover two today. And yoga simply means unity. That is its definition. And so in the Hindu religion, being a yogi or practicing yoga means practicing unity. It means practicing oneness. And in the Hindu religion, there are four paths that they, that they say, uh, that they use to that oneness, to that unity. One, the first path, the path called Raja Yoga, which Raja means king, is the path of meditation. The path of stillness, the path of getting our mind so still, getting our ego so far out of the way that we become the truth of who we already are. Meditation is, the idea is that the true self is obscured in some way by the disturbances of the mind. The mind is talking, the mind is judging, the mind is thinking, the mind is forming an opinion. The mind is constantly telling us things which are not true or are based on a limited reality, not on the ultimate reality. And so the path of, of Raja, the idea, that's the reason it's called that, is the path of meditation will lead you to the king that is inside of you, your own self. And so when we sing, like we did earlier, I will make a quiet place and I will wait upon the Lord. Doesn't mean you're waiting upon someone outside yourself to save you. It means I am waiting upon the Lord of my being. I am waiting quietly to allow the king, I'm, I'm echoing there, Perry can turn it down. Um, I'm waiting to allow the king of my being to express through all of the noise. I'm spending enough time in quiet and stillness to allow the noise to go away. And the Bhagavad Gita says, when, through the practice of yoga, the mind ceases its restless movements and becomes still, the aspirant realizes the Atman. The Atman is simply the Hindu word for the eternal soul. Our true self, our higher self, that self that Jesus was speaking of when he said, you must go apart for a while. If you just stay around the world and absorb nothing but the world's messages, you will always be confused. You must go apart for a while. And know your oneness with the Father is the word that Jesus used. Father and I are one. Same thing. The Lord of my soul. The love that's deep within me. My higher self. And I was going to separate Raja Yoga and Janana Yoga, but I just can't figure out how to explain one without the other. And remember that all of these four paths are leanings. They're not, I'm only meditating, I'm doing nothing else, or I'm only doing this. But I love the fact that in Hinduism, it doesn't say there's just one narrow path and if you can't follow it, oh well, too bad, probably gonna burn in hell. <laughs> it's not the way of it at all. It says we are all separate individuals and we all have gifts 
Some of us have the gift of quiet and are going to be able to spend more time with that gift. Some of us, maybe not so much. <laughs> but all of them are important. It's just where do you put your focus? Where do your natural gifts lead you? Where do you lean? And then how do you expand from there? So Janana Yoga is the yoga of knowledge. And it is, one of the things it is, it's gathering the knowledge that spiritual teachers from the past have given us. The words of Jesus, the words of the Buddha, the ancient scriptures, the Vedas and the Upanishads, the, the ancient legacies that have come down through oral traditions that we absorb. All of these things are knowledge, but Janana Yoga is very specific. You take in that knowledge not so you can just do what they told you to do, as in the Persian Rosary. Think your own thoughts. Don't lean on somebody else's staff. Find your own staff. So you can see their staff. You can hear what they have to say. You can watch how they lean. And then you must go within and figure out what that means to you. So the yoga of knowledge is taking things in from the outside, but then taking them deep inward. And as I often say to people in my classes, take that and hold it up next to your heart. And if it feels true when you're holding it next to your heart, it's probably true. If it doesn't feel true, then maybe it's not for you or it's not for right now. There's no way to get it wrong. I love this. There's no way to get it wrong. I was taught as a child that there were a million ways to get it wrong and only one way to get it right. And that is simply not the truth. That is simply not the truth. We are the church of the infinite second chance. <laughs> so we take it in and we see what it means because they say, um, Janana Yogis, that enlightenment uses the mind okay, to distinguish between what is real and what is not real. That's the yoga of knowledge. The mind distinguishes between what is real, what is not real, what is true, what is not true. So it's finding truth through study and self-inquiry, which takes strength of character and discipline. That's a word we don't like very much in America, discipline. It takes discipline. It's not always the most fun thing to do. It's not always the most fun thing to think about. Being still is not always the most fun or easy thing to be. And yet, it takes discipline. And here is, here's what the gift is in that. <coughs> Through study, you get to know who you are. You get to sing in truth, I am light, I am a light, I am a light in this world. Not just as the lyric to a song, but as something you have taken in for your absolute, the truth of your being, and then you get to share it out into the world. You cannot shine someone else's light. You have to find your own. You have to find your own. And this Janana Yoga, you may notice, those of you who are students of the Course in Miracles, or have been, that that's basically what the Course in Miracles says, is there is this reality that we think is reality that is about separation, that we're separate people and we're definitely separate from God and all this stuff is actually going on and it actually means something. But there is this higher truth that actually we're not separate. 
We're not separate from God. We're not separate from each other. And all of this swirling around stuff is stuff that we made up, that we created, that we, I believe, that we created to learn something from. And yet, what is the ultimate reality? I mean, if I believed that the things that I see in this world were my ultimate reality, I don't know. I don't know how I would live from that place. I believe there is a higher reality. I believe that the energy and the power of love is the truth. And that we're all in our different ways finding our way to that truth. And when we find that truth, we'll realize, oh, we weren't different people doing different things after all. We are all lovers seeking the love that we already are in various ways. So I don't share this so that you can become a Janana yogi or a Raja yogi or any other kind of um, yogi. You don't have to call yourself that. When I went to seminary, my mother, of course, my mother's had dementia for a very long time, but at, at the time, you know, she would ask me what I was studying. She would say, are you going to become a Buddhist? Are you going to become a Hindu? Are you going to start wearing robes? Are you going to start? I'm really, I'm really the same person, Mother, and I actually don't believe anything new from what I already believed. I just actually found a school that would teach me what I already knew to be the truth <laughs> and would validate it and would um, cultivate it within me. And that's what we're doing, y'all. We're cultivating this thing. The seed is in there. It's ready to grow, but we have to make the soil fertile. We have to pay some attention. We have to shine some light on it. We have to water it. We have to give it our disciplined attention, at least to a certain extent. At least that's what I believe. Hold that up to your heart and see if that's true for you. See if you can know that to be true for you. And so we can take what works. That I, One of the, my vows of ministry is that my ministry would be practical. If I just made people feel good and in their minds on Sunday morning and then they went home and did their lives however they've been doing them with no changes, then that didn't make me a minister. That didn't make me helpful. I wanted practical. I wanted to be able to help people build their lives in a way that felt better and served them better. I want to build my life in a way that feels better and that serves me. I often ask the question, okay, that seems true. How is it helpful? Is it helpful? If it's not helpful, maybe it's not mine, or maybe it's not the time, or maybe it's not the thing at all. But if it's helpful, I like to glean what I can get from it. So meditation, what can you get from meditation? It doesn't mean you have to go in a cave and spend the rest of your life in stillness and quiet. But here's a big payoff for meditation. You take a few minutes every day and you cultivate what it feels like to be completely calm. Calm the body. Calm your head. Calm all of this. I don't know about you, but I carry so much tension everywhere and I can be, I can go from zero to 60 in one second. Something happens and I something happens that makes me mad or that triggers my fear, triggers my anger, makes me worry about something, I go there. The more time I spend cultivating a few minutes of calm every day, the more that when I tell myself, you need to calm down, I actually know what that feels like. 
You ever had anybody say, calm down, and you're like, calm down? What do you mean by that? Teach yourself what it means to be calm, to sit in calm, to feel calm in your body. We are embodied creatures, y'all. I don't believe we're here to lose our bodies. I think we're here to learn from our bodies. We're embodied creatures. Your body, no matter how you think you're feeling in your head, your body will determine. If your adrenaline is rushing, if your shoulders are clenched, if your jaw is clenched, if your belly is tight, then you are experiencing anxiety. It doesn't matter what you think you're experiencing. That's what your body is going through. So learn how it feels when your body is at rest, at peace, in calm, not afraid, not threatened. And then in the next time anxiety appears to you, you can notice it in your body and actually go to that place of calm. Does that feel helpful? Yes. I'm finding it to be helpful in my life. You can ask Bob later if you want to how successful I am. <laughs> But um, I'm finding it to be helpful. I have to, um, more and more often I am just closing my eyes and in the moment of whatever's going on and taking some breaths and going, wait a minute, is this worth giving up my calm for? How can I find my calm? And I don't find it by talking myself out of it. I find it by focusing my attention on my body's reactions to it and making it calm down. Another thing that I've shared with you that I do in meditation that I've heard several of you say is very helpful. It, you know, meditation doesn't have to be some esoteric kind of thing. It can be if you want it to be, but it can be sitting in a chair and saying, I'm going to do nothing right now except let God love me. Just going to let God love me. Do that. Do that for a few minutes every day. See what it does for you. Amen. Just let God love you. Because you know what? When you're loved, then you give love. My mother, who, as many of you know, passed away just a couple of months ago, used to say this thing to me, and it rings in my head a lot. She said, Linda, people who don't have their own needs met can't even begin to see yours. If you're asking someone to make you feel loved and they don't feel loved themselves, it ain't going to happen. Ever. And so can you let God love you and then you go out and be the one who makes another feel loved using the love of God as you, in you, through you, by you and for another. Which, it turns out, is really for you because we're all one. Helpful meditation practice. And this is something that, um, who was I reading that said this? Uh, I think it was the Dalai Lama. He talked about preparation, readiness. Why do you cultivate that calm? So you'll be ready for the next situation where you desperately need calm. Why do you cultivate feeling what it feels like to just allow yourself to be loved? To be in love. So that the next time you face a situation where you can't find the love, you know where to go. You know what it feels like. You can get back there. 
you can get there more quickly and more easily because you have prepared. You have already packed your bags and they are standing by. So when it's time to take that journey, you're ready. You pick up the tools that you already have. I know I'm mixing metaphors here, but you pick up the tools that you already have. It takes a lot longer if you have to go through and find tools and put them together in one place. But if you are using your tools on a daily basis and you're oiled and you're ready and they're all together in your bag, how much more easily can you access them at the moment that you need to? I used to think in my, you know, very opinionated young, um, I'm finding the truth way, that um, nuns and monks were just a waste of time. It's like, who are you helping? What are you, you're out there on a mountain praying, what, is it, what good does that do? You know what? I believe that it does a great deal of good. Think about the fact that there are people who are true Raja yogis, whether they call themselves Catholic nuns or whatever, doesn't matter, who are of the, have a gift for silence and who can go apart and do nothing, not bring any harm to the world. Think about that. Karma, we're always creating some kind of harm somewhere. What if we can get to a point where we're not creating any harm and the only energy that we're sending out is an energy of peace and calm and love? In oneness, that is blessing every one of us. That is blessing every one of us. I now like to think about that. I like to think about the monastics who are sitting someplace and just giving love and calm to the world to the best of their ability. I am not ever going to be a monastic. <laughs> that is not my gift. I don't have to feel bad about it. I don't have to apologize to God for it. I have other gifts to give. But I'm grateful that there are people who have that gift, and I will accept it. So jnana, wisdom, discernment, the yoga of knowledge, philosophy, the whole philosophy is as you think, so you become. Does that ring any bells for you? Yep. That's the basis of new thought. It's also basically one of the first lines in the Tao. It's what Buddha says in the Dhammapada. As you think, so you become. You have, you have an impact. You get to decide. You have choice. That's what the Course in Miracles says. Is there's always a choice. You can choose love or you cannot choose love. And whenever you're not choosing love, that pretty much means you're choosing fear. So we always have a choice. And so any moment that we spend in love, that we make the choice for love, we are practicing love. We are giving love to the world. And so, yes, in this yoga of knowledge, we enter the mystery, we enter the teachings, but not for the knowledge itself, for any way in which the knowledge might lead us to the truth. And the truth is not out there. The truth is always in here. It doesn't help to have somebody pointed out, though. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt to have somebody pointed out. It's helpful. It's helpful. So... The idea, again, of all yogas is to reach, is to understand Atman, which is the eternal soul, not the changing, fickle, here and there, and mad one minute, and ecstatic the next minute, and we're all happy when we get what we want, we're all mad when we don't get what we want. 
not that us, but the Atman, the eternal soul of us. And then the goal is for that Atman, for that eternal soul, to rest in Brahma, to rest in the unconditional love of God that was here before creation and will be here forever, that is eternal. That is eternal and infinite. So our Atman gets to rest in the infinite. We finally understand and rest in the truth of who we are in love. So self-knowledge, self-knowledge is really the, the yoga of knowledge and it uses curiosity what is the truth here? Openness. If you've already decided what the truth is, it's going to be really hard for you to take in any new information. And so I have to keep doing that. I have to keep doing that. Really? Is that what I believe? Do I still believe it? Does it still feel true? Is there any more information that's come in? You know, I thought felt pretty good about myself when I thought nuns were a waste of time, but I have gotten new information, which has led me, not because somebody else told me, but which has led me to a place where I realize, wow, if the prayers that I pray can help another, think about the helpfulness of someone who does very little but pray. Extremely helpful. So, curiosity, openness, and discipline, and denials and affirmations. Straight up new thought. Neti neti means not this, not that. It's not this. It's not what they're saying. It's not what I read in the paper. It's not what's on the news. It's not even the evidence of what I see in my body, necessarily. It's not this and it's not that. It's something else. We deny the unreal, which is just the conditional. If it's conditional, if it's not permanent, then it's not real, is the ultimate idea. I'm not saying you don't have to deal with life. Not saying that at all. Of course you do. Of course you have to deal with life. And any of these practices will help you deal with life in a more loving and more successful way, I believe. But in eternity, we are a moment in this body, in this life, in all of these things that are, that are just constantly changing, imperfect, impermanent. Anything that is a sense that I can sense with my five senses, that I see, that I hear, that I taste, that I smell, that I touch, is impermanent. It's not going to always be here. So I cultivate time in my mind with what is unconditional and what is permanent. What is absolutely infinite and always loving is where I come to. So, self-affirmation. We deny what's not real and we affirm what is real. What is real is love. We are spirit. We were never born. We will never die. We are pure, perfect, eternal, and free. This is the greatest truth of our being, I believe. Don't believe it from me. Meditate on it.
as we breathe, that center into our hearts. Soon it becomes so immense that it can no longer be contained in our physical body and expand outwardly. Join the spirit of the person next to you, in front of you, behind you. Our collective light is so brilliant and strong it can't be helped within the sanctuary. join us as we celebrate the love of God in each and every one of us. As our invitation and praise to envision all these glorious energies walking through our doors, filling our sanctuary, filling our pews with loving hearts and open minds. Take a few more deep breaths. We hope this presence of our community remembers in our hearts. We feel their love. See their smiling faces. And know they are blessed by all our church family. As we return to our bodies and into our hearts, we 
Thank you. 